So Money, episode 288, Tara Gentili. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Partners, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and and cancer related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes, a lot in common with who mm-hmm. you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life-altering. But of course, it's for an amazing, tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
Welcome to So Money, everyone. Happy Wednesday. I've got a great guest for you today. She's a business strategist and the creator of Quiet Power Strategy. Her name is Tara Gentili, and she works with entrepreneurs to design their own personal quiet power strategy. It's a personalized and streamlined plan for entrepreneurs to grow their business while cutting through the clutter to create a clear and strong message. She's also the founder of Co-Commercial, which is a company specializing in hands-on support and training for idea-driven entrepreneurs. Tara is also a regular instructor on Creative Live and speaks around the world on the topics of entrepreneurship, marketing, and money. Lots of takeaways from our conversation, including how to build flexibility into your business business and financial life, the steps to figuring out how much you should earn, and the mobile app that's free that she says helps her save more money than she could ever do on her own. Here is Tara Gentili. Tara Gentili, welcome to So Money. I've been a fan of yours on social media. Happy to say we're now connecting voice to voice. Welcome to So Money. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I, I'm really impressed with the platform, the brand, and the focus that you have within your business. I think that like I'm an entrepreneur and I find myself often distracted, often being pushed and pulled in a variety of directions. I want to please everybody. And you say you've dedicated your your focus and your your assistance to entrepreneurs to saying, you know what, you got to focus on the one thing and find your harness your quiet power. You have actually trademarked this strategy called quiet power. And I'd love to start there because I think that so many people, even if you don't even have a business, even if you're just living your life, you feel like you are maybe uh, doing the loud power thing. <laughs> so how what does quiet power mean? And how did you come across this and realize this was going to be your niche? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like you said, we live in a very overwhelming world. It's really noisy out there and it's full of really good stuff, which is part of the problem. We do get pushed and pulled in so many different directions uh, because there's so much good advice out there. There's so many good ideas. There's so many wonderful opportunities. And we find ourselves kind of diving into each of those things or maybe not even diving in, like just sticking our toes in the water of all of these really cool things and opportunities that are out there. And that causes us to really lose focus on who we are, what we're best at, what makes us really effective, what makes us really unique. And we we do get pushed and pulled by the tide of what's trendy or what seems to be working right now. But what I noticed in working with entrepreneurs over the last seven years is that the people that are really, really succeeding are not getting pushed and pulled by uh, all of the trends and tactics that are out there and instead are really focusing on what they do best. And so to me, quiet power strategy is all about focusing on what makes you most effective and what makes you most compelling and what makes you most unique and using that to guide all of your actions, the complete strategy for your business so that you're not at the whim of all of the you know information and opportunities that are out there, but instead you are really focused on what's going to work for you. You know, and I think we give a lot of lip service to building a business that works for you, doing things your way, but I But I also believe that when you are really sure of what makes you super effective, what makes you really compelling, what makes you unique, you can actually make really intentional choices that guide your business uh, in a way that 
gives you the confidence and almost the the assuredness that you're going to find success. It helps you find the right people. It helps you find, you know, even the right social media channels. It helps you find the right product offerings, the right marketing uh, messages and tactics. Um, And that really helps you create focus. And I like to say focus looks good on you. Focus is really attractive. So when you're focused on what makes you effective and compelling, your clients and your customers and your prospective customers are going to be focused on what makes you really effective and compelling as well. That's really attractive. It it creates a certain magnetism to your business that allows you to get quiet, to get centered and really put your best work out into the world very, very easily. I agree. And that way you're also more memorable. You know, if you're the Mm -hmm. jack of all trades and someone is looking to hire someone with one of your trades, they might want to go to someone who just does that. There's a risk, though, to just focusing on the one thing sometimes in that you, at least psychologically, you feel as though you're giving up a lot. And there is, I think I can speak personally, a little bit of trepidation as far as um, missing out. I, everyone's telling me to get on Periscope. Everyone's, and the next thing is blab. I'm like, I, and, and I have put my foot down. I'm like, I can't become the social media queen. You know, I'm not on Pinterest. I am, but I'm not. But at the same time, uh, there's a voice in my head that's going, but you're missing out and you're missing out on potentially reaching a whole new audience. So how do you reconcile that with yourself? Yeah, I like to say that uh, quiet power strategy helps you make bold choices. And I think one of the boldest choices you can make right now is to not do whatever the hot new thing is. Um, And Periscope is actually the example that I've been using most lately. I tell my clients, you know, oh, okay, you want to go on Periscope? Why? Just tell me why. Give me one good reason that it's not the hot new thing or that you're afraid of missing out. And if you can come up with a really good reason, if it really plays to your strengths, if it really plays to to what makes you unique, then by all means, go for it and and give it your all and and really get the most out of it that you possibly can. But if you can't come up with a good why for why you would be chasing that particular uh, channel at this point, then it's not a good choice for you. And so you have an opportunity to say, nope, I'm going to focus on what's working or I'm going to focus on figuring out what's going to work. And I think that's really empowering. Um, Yeah, I, I totally get that, you know, fear of missing out thing. Um, but I think the thing that we should most be afraid, most afraid of is missing out on success. And I think, you know, continuing to chase all these different things keeps us further and further away from success. So if you're going to be afraid of something, be afraid of missing out on success and really focus in on why any particular tactic or formula is the right one for you. And if you don't have an answer for that, then take a step back and look for whatever that channel, whatever that tactic, whatever that formula is that you do have a really good answer for why you should be pursuing it. How did you arrive at your quiet power, Tara? How did you arrive to say, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on as far as my business? What was your journey? Oh man, well my my journey is long and winding. <laughs> but my but for my business journey, um a lot of it has been experimentation and figuring out where I am most effective. And over time, it it really kind of occurred to me that my, you know, where I'm most effective is helping people 
see themselves and see their customers from a new perspective. And I think largely that's another thing, you know, that quiet power strategy offers you is seeing yourself from a different perspective, kind of inviting yourself to see how other people value you, uh, why other people find you or your brand or your business really attractive. Um, and so I've done a lot of ex- just kind of experimenting with that, you know, trying this thing, trying that thing, because you don't know in the beginning. There, there are things in your experience that you can draw on, whether it's, you know, a really productive conversation you had persuading someone to your side or how you've best met people in the past, connected with people in the past. Um, those kind of things can inform what direction you choose. But until you really start experimenting with things, you don't know. I think the thing to keep in mind with experimentation and what I've tried to do with experimentation is to to uh, build on the results because otherwise you're just getting, again, pulled in all those different if all those different directions. So you sort of need to form a hypothesis for what you think is going to work for a really good reason, give it a try, then recalibrate and, and, you know, make an adjustment and try it again. Um, that, you know, really kind of approaching your business almost with the scientific method. Um, then I've also used kind of some other tools, um, that, lots of people are out there using and very few of them are applying it to their businesses. Um, you know, one of them is the strengths finder. Another is Myers Briggs. My personal favorite tool that's out there that's really helped me kind of step into my own quiet power, uh, is Sally Hogshead's, uh, fascination advantage system. And that's all about, you know, understanding the best way you communicate and what makes you most attractive and, um, kind of how you, you, uniquely add value to your community, to the world. And so I've used that system to really steer my brand in a very intentional way so that I'm not, I'm not ever wondering what people are going to be attracted to. And I'm not ever wondering, um, you know, how I'm going to best show up in a particular situation. I've reversed engineered that into my brand so that you know exactly what I'm about from the moment you land on my webpage, uh, website, and, um, and, you know, every conversation that I have, every talk that I give, every interview that I do, I'm really focused on that unique way that people see me so that I can use that to my advantage. And so it's been for me, this journey has been a, a mix of really thoughtful, intentional experimentation and then using some of the really awesome tools that are out there that do actually answer or at least start giving us the answers to these questions. Um, so yeah, so it's been kind of a, a twofold uh, journey there. Let's talk about money. Does money yeah. come up a lot in your work? <laughs> oh, money comes up all the time. People have a very, very difficult time pricing their work mm. and, you know, thinking about how what revenue goals they should set, thinking about profit. And so I talk about money all the time and I love talking about money. I noticed on your site you have a... Pa- uh, a- I guess it's a ebook on mm-hmm. how to earn your worth. Do you find that female entrepreneurs sometimes underestimate their value and their worth? I actually read a Harvard study that showed that female entrepreneurs pay themselves less than male entrepreneurs. Yeah, there was um, also in the uh, the book, The Creative Class, um, they did a reboot of that a couple of years ago for the 10th anniversary. And it was the same finding that women in the creative class, which is basically all of us, um, are making about 30 percent, not 30 percent less, but 30 percent 
of what men make. Wow. <laughs> and I found that staggering Yikes. and horrible. And so I decided to try and fix it myself um, or at least be part of, uh, you know, all of uh, these wonderful women who are uh, fixing it like you are as well. Um, yeah, I do find that women have a really hard time valuing themselves and valuing their work. And I actually am a fan of not talking about uh, paying yourself or asking for what you're worth, but instead separating yourself, detaching yourself from your business and from your work so that you can more objectively price uh, what you have to offer. And I think that that's actually a misstep. Um, and I think that it's, a, it's you know, sort of yeah. out there in the zeitgeist that, you know, charge what you're worth. Well, you know, you're priceless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you kind of go down that mm-hmm. rabbit hole, you're going to continue having this, you know, this mind melt of, you know, well, I don't know what I'm worth. I don't know what I'm worth, but work the, you know, the work that you do, the value that you create for other people, the results that you can create is actually really quantifiable. And it's also much easier to do market research on, because if, again, if you're pricing yourself to what you're worth, then you end up comparing yourself to other people. And that just leaves us feeling really awful. Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah, it reminds me of a guest on my show, Terry Trispicio. She's a branding expert and she says sort of a very similar thing, which is that when you think about negotiating for yourself or what you would price something at, it's not about worth. Take that word out of your vocabulary because often we associate it with Mm (laughs) self-worth and then you're down that rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you can, you can look at what the, the results are of what you're offering. Mm-hmm. And those are much more quantifiable. It's a lot easier to say my yeah. results are worth this to my client. Maybe you've saved them money. Maybe you've made the money. Maybe you've saved them time, hassle, heartache. Those things are legitimately quantifiable. You can put a price tag on that and you can pay, you can compare the results that you get to other results that other businesses are getting out there in the market. And you can see, Oh, okay. Well, this is about equivalent. So I guess I should be charging about that price. And you do enough of that, that research. And I think you'll find that the price tag for your work is probably a whole lot higher than what you're charging right now. I love that. So if you had to encase your philosophy in a sentence or two, what would it be about money or financial philosophy, Tara? Yeah, I would say my f- financial philosophy is to stay flexible. Um, both for me personally and in my business, flexibility is sort of my driving personal value, my driving philosophy. I want my cash flow to be really flexible. I hate feeling like I'm backed into a corner. Um, so whether that's, you know, again, in my personal life or in my business, I'm always focused on flexibility. How can I make sure that, you know, I'm planning for the amount of money that's going to come in so that I'm planning, you know, responsibly for the amount of money that's going out? And how can I just help myself feel as as though I can take on an, an unexpected opportunity or so that I can take on an unexpected expense without really stressing out about it. And so that would inherently mean having ample savings, which you probably do. Yes, exactly. How much savings do you have? And well, when you talk to your clients about this, you know, in terms of being able to take risks and have flexibility, what's a comfortable target for rainy day 
I always say six to nine months. For entrepreneurs, I would say a year. Yeah, I've got about a year in the bank uh, easily. Um, we could probably get by with a lot less, <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. about what I have in the bank. Um, and I have some other, you know, I have other little savings put around too. Um, but yeah, I think that's, again, it, to me, it's all about flexibility. And I want my clients to be able to take risks. And I think that that's another problem uh, that female entrepreneurs face Um more so than male entrepreneurs is that we're we're a little bit more risk averse by and large. And I think that having more money in the bank helps you take better mm-hmm. risks. Yeah. Um, and and that has been really huge for me, um, you know, being able to make big leaps ahead in my business. It's all been about the flexibility to take risks. So yeah, I have, a, I have about a year's worth in the bank. And uh, that makes me really happy to say, actually. <laughs> That's really excellent. I remember getting laid off in 2009. And because I had about a year's savings, and it it could probably have gone, I could have stretched it further, but comfortably a year, I was encouraged not to go back to try to find a nine to five job. I thought, you know what, let me just sit on this and think about my Mm -hmm. future and try new things. And I don't know if I could have done that without the flexibility of having money in the bank. What about your biggest money memory growing up as a kid, Tara? What was your exposure to money growing up? Maybe a memory that you would share with us. Yeah, absolutely. So my my kind of money story as a child, I think, is a lot different than other people's. Um, my mom was a business owner, um, but her business was uh, as a seamstress. And so we didn't have a lot of money growing up. Having money is very new to me um, and having financial flexibility is very new to me. However, um, I never got the feeling that we didn't have any money. Um, it always felt really abundant. It always felt like the answer was going to be yes if we wanted to do something. And, you know, the, the reason for that is because we were really focused on what our main priorities were. And she would find the money. She'd, you know, work an extra hour. She'd find a new customer. She'd, you know, do a few extra hems to make sure that I could go to music camp or uh, sports camp or whatever it might have been. Um, but I think my earliest uh, memory of how I was personally directed to manage my money was when I got my very first job, which again was kind of unusual. I decided at 14, I think I was 14 years old that I wanted to uh, empire uh, like little league softball. <laughs> and so I took an empire nice. umpiring course. Yeah. Took an umpiring course, uh, got certified with the ASA and uh, started doing, you know, a couple games a week. And I think at the time you were getting paid $24. So it was $24 for about two hours worth of time, which for a 14 year old kid was an immense amount of money. Yes. And so my mom said, here's the deal. You're going to take half of what you earn and put it in an envelope in the freezer. I don't know why we put it in an envelope in a freezer because we <laughs> definitely had, it wasn't like we didn't have bank accounts. We had right. bank accounts, but that was, that was what we did. Freezer. Um, and then the other, yeah. And then the other half of it, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted to with. And I think this is probably where that that flexibility philosophy originally came from is because I knew I had complete flexibility with half of my money and that half of my money was always going to be there for that big expense or, you know, that thing that I really wanted to to use a larger chunk of money for. And I kept doing that uh, with my odd jobs, whether it was as a pharmacy technician or, you know, doing a work study in college or uh, working for the 
church or working at a jewelry store. I continued to do that all the way through college so that when I was in college, I was able to buy things for myself like, you know, a brand new professional trombone because I was a music major for a while. And um, I sent myself to Austria with my college orchestra. And that all came from or most at least most of the money came from the money that I saved putting half of every paycheck away. That is a great lesson. And so as an adult, do you, do you still do this? What's your oh, savings gosh, mechanism? No. <laughs> <laughs> my main savings, well, I... I think my main savings mechanism is just that I make a lot more money than I spend. And so it tends to, you know, it tends to add up, which is not good advice. Don't follow that advice other than making a lot more money than you spend. Um, But my main sort of um, unintentional savings mechanism is that Amanda Steinberg uh, turned me on to uh, Digit.co, which is an automated savings app that will uh, send you a text message every day with your bank account balance, and it will automatically pull money out of your checking account based on your spending and how much money you like having in the bank and put it in a separate savings account for you. And so I'm able to have this kind of rainy day fund. Uh, like this extra savings um, set aside that I don't see. It's not like, and I don't have instant, I have easy access to it, but not instant access, Mm. which is key for me. Um, And uh, yeah. And so I, I've got access to that and that's been huge just for kind of thinking about, uh, you know, another level of flexibility, I guess, with my, with my finances. Well, you mentioned Digit. We had the founder, Ethan Block, on So Money. It was episode 190, if you're interested oh, nice. in hearing that. Ethan is awesome. He's really down to earth. And I, I think he's built something pretty genius, which really speaks to our behavioral tendencies, which is that we hate to save. <laughs> mm-hmm. We left to our own volition. We won't do it as frequently, as aggressively. And Digit is brilliant in that way because it does it for you. And it doesn't even ask you for permission. It lets you know what it's doing. It used to. It used to say, you know, send back a smiley face or a okay. It would text you and say, we're going to save $5 for you this week. And you had to, it had to wait for you to okay it. Mm-hmm. And they found that savings dropped because people were not, they were so lazy. They didn't even want to say, okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's how cumbersome saving is. And so they were like, okay, we're just going to do it. And we're not going to get your permission. We're going to tell you what we're doing. And you're always, of course, able to stop us from doing it and move money back. And when they did, did that little switch, savings went through the roof. And I think uh, this is uh, the way to do it. Absolutely. I think last week I got it last week or the week before I got a text from them that said, now you have three different options. You can either save more aggressively, the same or less aggressively. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yes, more aggressively, please. <laughs> so that's been really great having that kind of control over it too. But yes, I am obsessed with that product. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about failure. And I know you've written about failure and how sometimes it's not you, it's the environment, (laughs) it's the circumstances, but share, share with us, Tara, a financial failure that you, you're almost happy it happened because it taught you an abundance about how to manage your money properly. Yeah, I think that um, the thing that is always my biggest money failure, and unfortunately, I probably haven't learned a huge lesson from this yet, but that I really need to, (laughs) 
is um, I have a tendency to kind of set spending and forget it. Um, in other words, I sign up for subscriptions. I sign up for products for my business. I sign up for, you know, whatever, whatever kind of recurring expense. And I forget about it. I stop using it and I don't do anything about it. And that's probably one of the things that I have the most shame around. Like even this morning, I had to write an email to my old landlord to say, um, so there's going to be a blue apron box delivered to my apartment. Can you just tell the, or my old apartment, can you just tell the new tenants to eat it? And I've taken care of it. So luckily I was able to take care of it then. But yeah, that was just another one. Like, oh, I totally forgot that that was going to be coming today. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my recurring financial fail that I'm learning a very slow, ponderous lesson about uh, kind of on a weekly basis, unfortunately. Yeah, for me, the leak is I used to buy all these domain names when I was establishing mm-hmm. myself and I would buy all the domain names for my different books. And honestly, no one's going into their URLs to type in like psychyourselfrich.com. They're, they're typing in my name or they're using Google search to find me. So and I'm paying for these websites to keep them alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Success. What's your number one so money moment, Tara? Uh, well, it's really recent, and it was buying my first house in September. Uh, so that was huge. Thank where, you. Where do you live, by the way? Um, I'm in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, which is about 15 <gasps> minutes Tara? north of Lancaster. Do you know I go there like? Every month, uh, my husband's from no. Lancaster, and his dad lives in Lidditz. His aunt oh, owns well, a store. Yeah, do you know um the store? It's called um oh gosh, it's a little antique store on on the main strip there in Lidditz, and um they sell. She's what's it called? Gosh, um she's gonna kill me because she's been asking me to like promote her. <laughs> <laughs> store online and stuff and I think it's it's it she it's all vintage stuff and I don't know if you've ever been in it but anyway so excited now that you live there because yeah. I feel like we are even more connected absolutely yeah let me know the next time you're in town I actually worked out of a workspace in Lancaster at the um, bubble at the uh, candy factory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, it was ten dollars to go there for the day and use their wi-fi and drink their coffee and and have this really cool space to work out of and i was like in new york you can't even get a latte for ten dollars <laughs> <laughs> um well very cool so congratulations and tell us about the house tell us what you love about it uh, well i mean I, I pretty much love everything about it it's an 1890 victorian that was recently remodeled and so it's perfect for us because we wanted like the mix of historic charm and really modern, um, you know, amenities inside the house. And, uh, you know, I've made a lot of bad decisions about where I was going to live in the past, mostly because they were short sighted. And I was going for, you know, I'll take a little less rent and then I'll move somewhere nicer later on. And, you know, it's that whole flexibility thing. (laughs) And that only ended up in me being, you know, maybe moderately happy in where I was living for a little while, but then very, very quickly growing out of it. And, you know, one of the most stressful things in life is moving. And so I was finding myself moving constantly. And so when uh, my partner and I decided to move back to Pennsylvania from the Oregon coast, we decided we are going to get someplace that we love. And we were prepared to go from Airbnb to Airbnb until we found someplace that we loved, uh, that we wanted to invest in or that we wanted to pay, you know, a much higher monthly rent for. Uh, But we came out here uh, for a week 
saw a bunch of houses, fell in love with this one and decided to make that purchase very quickly because it was, it really was exactly what we had in mind. And we knew we could be here for the long haul. And, you know, you know, that's, that's kind of like the hallmark of whether or not a house purchase is a a good idea or not. And so we felt really, really confident about that pretty much for the first time in our adult lives. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Oh, and by the way, the shop is called the Curiosity Shop. Oh yeah. Okay. I know. Exactly. 39 East Main Street in Lidditz. There, I did the plug. Um, well, congratulations. And yeah, absolutely important that you like the neighborhood and not just the house. You like the town, you like the surroundings because otherwise it's a, uh, well, it's a bit of a risk then. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about habits. I know you're full of good habits, Tara. I don't think you uh, probably have any bad habits. <laughs> What's a good financial habit that you practice that helps you with your financial independence and your flexibility as it is. Yeah. So I was going to mention uh, Digit, but I'll come up with another one, although it's very similar for a very similar reason. Um, I have a, a kind of big sit down with my bookkeepers every month and really go over the insides and outs of the financials of my business. Um, and that really helps me see, again, you know, where the money's going out, where it's coming in. It helps me make sure that, um, you know, everything is the way I expect it to be, or maybe better than I expect it to be. And they, you know, they're, they're they're amazing bookkeepers and that they're not just crunching numbers, but they're, but really looking at, you know, the ups and the downs and the patterns and, you know, where we could, um, you know, create some extra leverage. And so that kind of monthly big financial check-in has been really huge for me in creating, um, absolutely in creating flexibility, but also in creating, um, sort of kind of massive growth in my business over the last year or so. What is one bit of advice that you've learned or that you uh, would teach someone who wants to keep a distance between their spending on the business and spending in personal life? How do you compartmentalize and so that you're not dipping into the cookie jar Yeah, this lesson took me a very, very long time to learn. And I think that I'm still learning it. But the biggest thing I think you have to do is divorce yourself from the thinking that the amount of money that comes into your business is yours to do with what you please. Like, I think we equate revenue and income far too often. And that means you need to give yourself an income. So, um, you know, whether that means in a, in an actual way that, you know, you put yourself on payroll and you start filing taxes as an S corp instead of an LLC, for instance, or whether it's simply that you take a small amount of what comes in and put that into your personal account every month. And that's, that's your personal spending money. There's lots of different ways to do it, but I absolutely think you need to separate your personal income from the revenue that your business brings in. Again, that's going to help you make a lot, take a lot bigger risks. It's going to help you invest in your business much better. And that's just going to lead to more uh, growth later on, which then is going to allow you to increase your own income at the same time. Yeah. And you can plan because you know yeah. roughly what's coming in, even though you probably have more money set aside, but it, at least it's, it's giving you some sort of consistent way to plan ahead and um, just be better at measuring risk. Exactly. All right, Tara, let's do some so money fill in the blanks where I start a (laughs) sentence and you finish it. I'm thinking about adding, maybe changing up these questions, but I like what I have so far. And um, let's see how you do. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say it was a hundred million bucks. The first thing I would do is 
I'd buy a second home in Kalispell, Montana, where my partner is from, so we could visit with his family more often. Excellent. The one thing I spend money on that makes my life easier or better is... This is my big splurge, and it's first-class airfare, because I travel enough that it makes my life a lot better <laughs> to, to get off a plane feeling refreshed. It can be expensive, though, depending on the timing and where you're going. I mean, uh, I, I like to always upgrade at the last minute if I can, because I feel like then I can get the best price for first class or business class. How do you is there a price that you wouldn't pay for first class? Oh, yeah, yeah. I try and keep it under a thousand. So and I figure, you know, the difference between spending $400 and spending $700, which on my particular airline is generally what the difference is. um, That's always worth it to me, Um, especially because I fly cross country uh, so often. I I don't do it on short haul flights, but I'm flying back and forth to Seattle or San Francisco about once a month, sometimes more often. And that really takes a toll on my body and my mental health. And so spending that little bit more actually makes a huge difference for me. Sure. Um, when I splurge, and this could also fall under this category, but when I splurge, I like to spend money on blank. Um, I, you probably close. Yeah. <laughs> I still love clothes. And I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable with splurging on clothes, but spending money on clothes less often. So I don't, I'm not at the mall every week. Like I was when I was in my twenties, you know, buying penny fashion. Now I buy, you know, I'll buy a $300 or $500 bag, or I'll buy a $500 dress because I know I'm going to get lots of wear out of it. And mm-hmm. it's going to be with me for the long haul. One thing I wish I learned about money growing up is... I would say investing in myself. I think because we didn't have lots of extra spending money, um, that wasn't a big priority. It wasn't something that we talked about, whether, you know, big for the future or even in the in the moment. Um, and so now I really know the value of investing in myself with, you know, education, experiences, um, different things like that. And so, yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest lesson I wish I would have learned. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... Um, I am a huge supporter of NPR. So a lot of my uh, nonprofit contributions go to uh, my local NPR station. And I think that it's hugely important to continue supporting and encouraging public broadcasting uh, so that we can continue to educate our communities and create amazing learning experiences for people of all different uh, you know, classes and education levels and uh, you know, wherever they live. What's your favorite show, All Things Considered? Uh, no, I am a fresh air person. Fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right on. And last but not least, I'm Tara Gentili. I'm so money because... I am so money because um, I want to help more women become so money. I want to help more women uh, create amazing financial abundance for themselves and their lives through their businesses and through their really smart ideas. I love it. Thank you for the work that you do, Tara, and uh, wishing you continued success. Thank you so much. For more information about Tara Gentili, her website is taragentili.com. That's T-A-R-A-G-E-N-T-I-L-E. She's also on Twitter with the same name, at Tara Gentili. All this and more at somoneypodcast.com, where you can leave a comment, download some transcripts, and also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for our Friday Ask Farnoosh segments. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope your day is so money. Money.